Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome here to our uh, midweek service at Calvary Baptist Church of Trihern. And once again, thank you. Uh, welcome for those people with us via internet and also here in FM Signal in town, 88.7. Please open your hymnals on number 177. 177. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Number 177. together in thy house this evening we're thankful for thy word which is true thankful that we can have it hidden in our hearts we can memorize it and if we're saved thy word will prompt us to walk in holiness that we don't sin against thee thankful also that thy word will convince the lost of their need to repent and be saved and to remind them of their many sins that they commit throughout every day 
And we pray for anyone listening today that's not saved, that they might grow weary of being guilty before thee, that they might want thy peace and forgiveness instead. We thank thee that we have a Holy Holy Spirit, thy Holy Spirit, who works in the hearts of the lost to convince them of their sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that each lost person knows that there's a righteous God who has every right to, to judge them and that they are living under thy wrath and that they need to be saved so they can live under thy blessings. So we pray that thy will be done. Through the service here, we thank thee for our internet connection and for the many that are joining us through our live streaming. We thank thee for them and pray that each one would receive the blessing that thou wouldst have for them, that they could know thy truth in their hearts as well. And we do pray for the many countries that we are reaching, that uh, there might be some good churches in those countries where people can attend, where they can fellowship with other believers. And we just pray that thy will would be accomplished as we gather here and as we broadcast abroad. May thy will be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And over to uh, 372. 372. Who is on the Lord's side? 372.
Fierce may be the conflict, strong may be the foe, but the king's own army none can overthrow. Round his thunder raging, victory is secure. War is truth and changing, makes the triumph sure. Joyfully enlisting by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. Over to 515. 515. Beulah Land, 515. <clears throat> I preach the land of corn and wine, and all its riches freely mine. Shines and name one blissfully for all my night has passed away. Oh, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land, as on thy highest mount I stand, I took away across the sea where mansions are prepared for me and viewed a shining glory shore. My Mansions are prepared for me 
turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. Just going to read one verse there this evening. Verse 33, and we'll stand please for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful this evening that we have thy word. We're thankful that we can sing hymns that give praise to thy name, and we can sing of Beulah land that heavenly home that we are looking forward to, those that are saved. We're thankful also that we have thy word, which is truth, and that we can know the truth, and we can walk in the truth, and we can understand that if we are in the truth, there will be no need for confusion, and that we can walk with confidence and have thy peace and blessing in our hearts. Again, we pray for those that are that join us via live streaming or even uh, later on in uh, looking at our webcasts. We pray for each one that they also would desire to know the truth and see the importance of knowing the God of truth, that they would know thy peace and blessing and guide us as we look into thy word this evening that we would allow thee to be glorified in our thoughts and in our actions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> So this evening, the title is The First Century Churches. We're looking at church history, and we started last week by giving some introductory thoughts in regard to the importance of church history, why it's important to study that, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and now we want to look at the first century, which is the century that Jesus lived in at the first part of it, and then the apostles were there in that century as well. And so we want to look at that. This evening, and you notice in that verse there that it tells us that God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. That's a key phrase, that last phrase, all the churches of the saints. There are many churches today, but most of them are not churches of the saints. They're false religious groups, they're nothing more than a social club, and that's all they are. But God is in every true church, and that's what we want to study, and that's what we want to make sure that that's what we are, so we can be a help and a blessing to others. <clears throat> so as we continue to look at our services and our church and so on, I was listening to a uh, podcast today of a man who was... Uh, recommended to me last week and so I did a little bit, little bit of research on him and uh, he claims to have a following of over 2 million people listening to him. He's a man who claims to be saved but his brand of Christianity is 
not biblical. It's not according to the word of God as we as we see in these verses here that he, he would create confusion. His theology is so so liberal and wide open that uh, he would fit well with just about anybody and he even says that on his on his podcast. Now our our audience base is not two million, it's not even one million, but we are over one hundred people this month already that have tuned in to us from fourteen different countries, I think it was today when I looked. And so our we are, our ministry is slowly expanding and uh, we'll see where it goes by the end of the month. But we're thankful for each one that tunes in and listens to us, whether live streaming or whether you listen to the webcast afterwards. And we trust that we're a help to you. Occasionally I get a letter of response, and and uh, I think, if I remember right, all the letters that I have received have been positive. Nobody has tried to read me out yet. So, so But... Uh, we're not doing it to try to find approval. We're not here to try to find approval with people. We want to be a help. We trust that we are a help and a blessing to each one that tunes in. So confusion is something that we need to understand that comes from the devil. It doesn't come from God. It tells us that in this verse that we began with. God is not the author of confusion. When Adam was created, God gave him very clear instructions as to how he could live successfully in the Garden of Eden. There was no confusion at all. It was when Satan came on the scene that he caused confusion for Eve. The Bible tells us that Eve was deceived. She didn't know who to believe. Should she believe what God told Adam or should she believe what the devil was telling her? But the Bible doesn't say that Adam was deceived. So Adam knew what he should be doing. He knew that, but yet he chose to go the wrong way. And that's the sad reality. And we all are born in sin. We're born lost individuals needing to be saved. And so, again, God is not the author of confusion. How does a person get saved? It's very clear in the Bible how a person gets saved. It's not by works not of works lest any man should boast so there's nothing that any person can do <clears throat> that they can claim well I did this and that's why I'm going to go to heaven and there are too many people uh, I'm dealing with some right now that they, they still are thinking that it's because of them that they have the intelligence or whatever term they want to use and that's why they're going to go to heaven. Well, I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. And you can speak very plainly to people, but they don't seem to get it. And it's only when the Holy Spirit finally can break through to them. They hear the words, but they don't allow the words to penetrate to their heart. And so that's where we need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep speaking the truth, not beat around the bush, so that people can understand what does the Bible say about salvation. It's really quite simple. We just stop there for a moment. Salvation is a matter of repentance toward God. It's a turning to God. And as we turn to God, the Bible says we're turning from idols. We're turning from those things that we have decided in our past were right and important. Every household... Uh, 
has certain beliefs, certain standards, certain traditions that they develop. And some of them are innocent, they're just traditions that people have. Some of them can interfere with the truth. And so that's where parents need to be careful. What are we setting up? It's, there's nothing wrong with you having, when we were in, in Bible school, we had, I believe it was on Thursday night, if I remember right, that we had popcorn, wasn't it? Oh, we had ice cream every Thursday night. Okay, we would have uh, we we've had butterscotch and and uh, chocolate and peanuts and marshino cherries, and then we would make a sundae. That was our Thursday night tradition, and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't cause anybody to sin. It wasn't something that we did instead of going to church, because there was nothing on Thursday night. So traditions are good. They're good to, for, to, set, to make memories in the home with your family as long as they don't go against the Word of God. And when they go against the Word of God, well, then you've got a problem on your hands because you're going to answer to God for the choices that you make. So as we look at church history as well, we're going to see that there are sometimes traditions that a church can have a uh, church might say on the second Sunday of a particular month we're going to have a picnic, church picnic. Well, that would be a tradition. If we did that every year, the same, the same uh, week of the year, uh, if we had that, that tradition, that there's nothing wrong with that. We get together and we have a barbecue and whatever else, there's nothing wrong with that. And so there are certain things that we can set up that just are there to build memories. But... Uh, we want to be careful that we don't do things that are going to interfere with the Word of God. The Bible warns against the traditions of men that interfere with God's Word. We don't want to be guilty of that. We want to honor God in our lives. So we want to look first of all at the first church, and the first church was in Jerusalem. That's where uh, it was established. The Greek word for church is ecclesia, and I'll spell that for you. It's E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, ecclesia. Now, the general definition of the word ecclesia means calling out. It's a calling out. That's the general definition. When we look at the biblical definition of ecclesia, it's an assembly called out by God. So it's not just a group of people. You could have a political meeting that could be called an ecclesia because it's a group of people that have come together. There's been an announcement made, such and such a day, we're going to have a meeting in your town and you're invited to come and sit and listen and ask questions and, and meet the, the people and so on. That would, could be called an ecclesia. But in the sense of the Bible, the biblical term is a, a meeting, an assembly called out by God. So that's what we are here. We are a church. We are an ecclesia. We are a group of people that are called out by God. Now, there have been people that have attended in the past, and they have said to me after the service, I don't know why I'm here. And when they have said that to me, I've said to them, well, I know why you're here. You're here because God wanted you to be here. He wanted you to hear the word of God. 
And what you do with that, that's between you and God. I can't force the truth upon anyone. I can only proclaim the truth. And it's what they do in their heart that's going to matter. And most of those that have said that, they have never come back. They, they didn't like what they heard, and they chose to stay away. Well, that's their choice. They're going to be held accountable for that choice. If a person walks away from the truth, instead of embracing the truth, that's their choice. But there are consequences to the choices that we make. So in... Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus identified true churches as starting with him. And he calls himself the rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. So any true church is built upon Jesus Christ. And so you notice again in our verse that we began with, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion. So again, the uh, Ecclesia Ni Cristo and all of those kinds of groups are deceivers because they claim Jesus is not God. And yet here it says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So Paul is directed here by God to tell us that God is in all true churches. And yet, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church. So again, Jesus is God. That's an undeniable fact of the Bible. And it's wickedness for these cults that claim that Jesus is not God and try to make a, a division there. And they do make a division. They have sadly far too many people following them and uh, they preach this lie that people are willing to accept and they have their books and people are impressed by that. That's the thing that amazed me about this man that I listened to today. He's, uh, he calls himself a historian and he's well read. He, he's read all kinds of different literature and that's part of his problem. He's so confused. I mean, he knows he knows the history, the, the literature he's read. He can quote this man and that man and so on. But he doesn't know the Bible properly. He knows enough Bible to hang himself. He's what the Apostle Paul says. He has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. And there are many people like that. They can quote a verse here and they can quote a verse there. And they sound very impressive to the untaught and unlearned person. But when you listen to what the person says, like he even stated, he was not going to get into theological debates because that would just cause divisions. You see, he has his two million followers because he does not, not offend anybody. That's how he can get that kind of a number. Because he doesn't get into anything that's going to cause division amongst people. And so that's how you build a large following. You've got to be very political in what you say. Jesus Christ taught the truth. He had large numbers that came to hear him. But in the end, and he was on earth as a, in a public position for three and a half years... And in the end, the people cried out, crucify him, crucify him. So they tolerated him for a time. 
One of the things that Jesus did that we don't have that ability to is he did a lot of miracles. And so if you can feed 5,000 people, you don't have to bring your wallet along and you can sit down and you can eat to, to be filled. And who wouldn't come? You know, if there's a free meal, people will come. You go to the soup kitchens in Winnipeg. They don't have enough food. They're always looking for donations. They're always looking for people to help because a lot of people come to those places. And I'm not saying Jesus was wrong in what he did because he didn't come to set up a soup kitchen. But all the miracles that he did proved that he was the Messiah. The people running soup kitchens today, they're not, they're not called to prove that they're speaking the truth, and, and they're not for the most part. They're, they're, theirs is a social gospel. They want to fill the stomach of people, but they don't know the gospel. And that's the sad reality of where we're at today. <clears throat> but the, the fact of the matter is that if you're going to stand for the truth, it's going to make a difference, and there's going to be more people that oppose you than there are that are going to say, I like what you said. Now, like I said, I get the odd uh, letter from people that listen, and they like a certain either devotional that I've sent out or they, they like something that I've said in one of the messages. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that, but I'm not telling people, please write and tell me, tell me what you think and please write and send me a letter of encouragement. I'm going to preach what I believe is truth, whether people say amen or not. It, it's not. That's not what moves me. What moves me is what I see in the Word of God, directed by the Spirit of God in my studies. So, as we look at the first church again, it was founded by Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gave instructions as to how a true church functions. And we'll just go there for a, a little bit and just look at that. Because Jesus again is the head and he tells us how a church needs to function. And today in our world, you will find very few churches that function according to what God's word says. In verse 15 of chapter 18, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now that's an important step to take. A brother here is not talking about my blood brother but my spiritual brother so spiritual we can call that blood through the blood of Jesus Christ but it's not the one born into my family so if I have a disagreement with a brother in my local church or a brother that I met somewhere else but he's a true brother and I have a disagreement I need to talk to that person you see communication is so important there's no reason for us to be afraid of one another. If we're afraid of one another, we've got a problem on our hands. We need to be able to communicate. And if there's a problem that, that a person has, they need to talk to the person about their problem. In the last church that I pastored, there was a, a, a growing uh, disagreement that I was not aware of until I was called to a meeting and then I was told what the disagreement was, but by then they'd already signed a petition, they wanted me out. There was no discussion, no talk being done about what I was doing and what they didn't like about what I was doing, just all of a sudden we've gotten together and we've got enough signatures and we want you out. Now I could have 
stayed there and I could have fought that but I didn't believe that it was God's will for me to do that and so I accepted the, the views of the majority of the people there I found out later that some of those people were manipulated into signing the petition but that was what they wrote down on the paper they signed their name and uh, one of them in particular was very sorry that they had put their name to that paper well that's why we need to think before we act but sometimes people don't do that. But here it says that if you have a problem with a brother, you go and talk to the brother. And then it says, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So you talk to your brother about something that you disagree with him on. He says, ah, I don't believe that. I, don't, I never said that. I never did that. Whatever the, the issue is. And you think it's something that needs to be settled. It isn't settled yet. And so God says, Jesus says here, take one or two more people with you. But those people, they have to be people in the know. You can't take somebody and bribe them and say, I'll give you five bucks if you come with me and we want to accuse this guy. There has to be some knowledge of what's going on. And so you take them with you and do you raise the issue again with your brother? Because you want to see it resolved. That's the whole point. You want to see the issue resolved. So you go and talk to the person again, the brother again. And if the person doesn't want to acknowledge the trespass then yet, then the Bible says, Jesus says here in verse 17, And if you shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So again, we're talking about the church here. We're talking about the ecclesia. This is a body of saints called out by God. So a meeting like this would be for the membership. It wouldn't be for a stray that comes in off the street, a stranger coming in. That person, if he's there... Fine, he can listen in, but he wouldn't really have no input because he's not a part of the body. But the, the issue here is there's three steps. And in the third step, the person is brought before the church. And again, the church is there to hear what's being, what's being said. The, the person that's, that's got the difference with the person that has trespassed is bringing the facts out. And there has to, of course, be agreement on the facts. That's where two or three witnesses are come together. The Bible says you never bring a case by yourself and carry it through to expulsion. There has to be some witnesses that agree with this is what happened and we need to settle it. And so on the third step, if the person doesn't want to deal with the trespass, then they are to be uh, disciplined out of the church and they're to be treated as a heathen or a publican. You see, that's where a lot of people get it wrong. They, they have, uh, what's the term there now? It just skips my mind right now where they uh, not excommunicate. Shun. shun. Where they shun a person. And uh, that's not what Jesus is telling us here. Jesus sat down and he ate with publicans and sinners. He didn't shun them. He didn't agree with them. They were well aware that he didn't agree with them. There was no, no question. Again, God is not the author of confusion. There was never any question. The Pharisees tried to accuse Jesus 
of being a wine bibber, but that was a lie. They had no evidence to back that up. They never saw him take a bottle of wine and drink it. They had no way to prove that, but just because of his association. And there might be people, you see, again, Jesus didn't go into a bar to meet with people. He sat in a public place, and sometimes he went into a person's home where he was invited, but we know from the Bible that everywhere that he went, he taught the truth. He never sat in a meeting that was full of drunkards, and he just sat there on the side and watched everything. When Jesus was in a home or when he was in a meeting somewhere, he was the center of attention. And that's something important for us to consider as well. If we believe that we can be a help to someone if they invite us into their home or whatever, then we need to, when it comes time to discussion, we need to take control. We cannot allow them to have the control and the room is filled with blue smoke and the booze is out there and we say nothing. Yeah, then, then people can accuse, yeah, you were at that place there. I never heard you say anything. You must be part of that. We need to be sure that we are called to go to that place and that we know why we're going there. We're not going there to see how much food we can eat. We're going there because we want to help somebody to know the truth. And here we see that if the person that has, that has trespassed doesn't want to listen, doesn't want to acknowledge the sin and straighten it out, He's to be treated like a publican, like a heathen man and a publican. So you're still seeking to communicate with him, but now on a different level. He's not a brother. He's now treated as a heathen and a publican. So he's someone that you're witnessing to, you're praying for. You can't have a close relationship with him, but you, you can't. If we're going to take the position of shunning people that we don't agree with, that even if they've committed a sin... If we're going to shun them, how do we help them? And can you show me in the Bible where it tells us to do that? Now, the Bible says an heretic. Now, a heretic is a leader who chooses to teach heresy. The leadership, for instance, in the Eglisea Ni Cristo. You know, I've talked to some of them. I've talked to them twice. I've had discussions with them on Bible issues, and they want to convert me. They want me to listen to them and follow them. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm done with them. Unless they're going to come to me and ask me a question and let me give them an answer, I'm not going to go to their meetings anymore. I'm not going to go to their houses when they're having a meeting because they don't let me talk to the people. They just try to dispute what I'm saying. So there's no point. They're, they're heretics. Now, if I meet one of their members on the street or somewhere, I'll talk to them. I'll try to help them to see their need to repent and be saved. And we have done that uh, when uh, a couple of years, a few years ago, some of them came to a house where we were meeting, and we talked to them, and right away they said, well, I don't have my books along, and I don't have my leader along, so I can't answer you. Well, you see, that shows you just how, how weak their religion is. Every born-again Christian needs to answer for what they believe. We need to be able to tell people, this is what I believe and here's why I believe it. <clears throat> so that's important. But when we look at the order of a church, we see that 
here in chapter 18. Here's how a church functions. Here's how a church keeps itself pure. And one of the things that you, that's why I said earlier, you won't find very many churches today that follow these steps. Because they don't believe the Bible is the final authority. They believe in their opinions more than in the word of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who established the church and established the order for the church. And then we go over to the book of Acts and we find in Acts chapter 1 that the apostles were told in Acts chapter 1 that they were supposed to wait in verse in verse 8 it says there but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth this was Jesus speaking here to the apostles before he ascended up to heaven And then we go on from there after Jesus ascended up into heaven. And uh, I'm missing the verse here. Yeah, yeah, four, verse four, sorry, go back to verse four. And being assembled together with them, so it wasn't just the apostles here, uh, being assembled together with them, that commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So Jesus gave the apostles that instruction, but we find later that there were some 120 people up there with them. And... Uh, Peter, in verse 15, decided they had waited long enough. And in verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. So Peter chose to be the leader here, but he wasn't yet empowered by the Holy, Holy Ghost. So he was out of turn in what he did here, but he did it anyway. And he says, Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. So when you look at that, those verses, description of Judas there, his death was a violent death. We don't know. We know that he hung himself. But according to these verses here, the description given, that when he hung himself, when he fell and that rope came, came tight and he died, it says his bowels gushed out. So it almost seems like he hung himself in a place where there was a rocked, jagged cliff edge, and he, when his body slammed into that, it cut him open. So we don't know exactly where he did this, but his death was a violent death. Judas was a, a lost man, 
and he faced the judgment of God and is in hell today. So in verse 19 it says, And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Akaldamia, Akaldema, that is to say, the field of blood. So that's talking about when Judas went back to the chief priests and threw the money back at them and said, I don't want this money. Uh, I don't, and they said, that's nothing to us. He admitted he'd made a mistake. They didn't care. Um, and he threw the money down at their feet and went up and hung himself. So that money was taken by the chief priests because they knew it was blood money. It was dirty money. And so they took that money and they bought a field to bury uh, strangers in. And so <clears throat> that's where when you look at, I don't know if you have this in the Philippines, but in Canada used to be, when you look at especially a church-run cemetery, you would find in one corner of the cemetery there's a fenced-off part where they bury people that have committed suicide or someone that's a stranger that doesn't have a home or nothing, and they die, they don't bury them with the regular people, they stick them off in that corner. And that's where they get that idea from, from what the Jews did here. There's no biblical basis for it, but that's, that's how, again, lost people, they look at certain parts of the Bible and think, well, we're going to do this because the Bible says this, and but it has no, no basis in, in fact. This was something that the Jews did at that, that particular time. <clears throat> so, so in verse 20 it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So the, his habitation be desolate. Well, his habitation is desolate. He do, he's not living in a cemetery somewhere in Israel. He's in hell. That's a place of desolation. <clears throat> and then in verse 21 it says, Wherefore of these men which are, have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord was, Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same, that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of this, his resurrection. So Peter here is telling us in verse 22 that they must fill this vacant spot of Judas when Jesus didn't tell them that. Again, if we go back to verse 4, it tells us there what Jesus told them to do. It says, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, we, ye have heard of me. That was the command. And Peter here decided we got to fill this vacant spot. And so they chose two men, the one called Joseph, called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So that's the two men. The one man has three names, Joseph and Barsabas and Justice. That's one man. The other one is Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship which, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now that's what the apostles did. Now remember in the Old Testament, the lot was the way that God taught the people, this is how you settle things. 
you cast lots. But the Romans did that too. They cast lots for Jesus' robe. So it wasn't just a Jewish thing. But again, keep in mind, we need to follow the order of Scripture. Jesus' command to the disciples and to those in the upper room was to wait. That was all. Just wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Peter here, even though they prayed, and there are people, there are, there are people who claim that what they did here was legitimate, that Matthias was the twelfth apostle. The trouble is that in the Bible, that's the last we hear of Matthias. And the book of the Revelation tells us that there are twelve apostles and twelve, I believe it's gates for the twelve apostles. So what do we have then? Judas was not a true apostle. But the Bible tells us that Paul, Saul, was chosen by Jesus to replace Judas. So that's what I believe. But anyway, we see the fledgling church here. And in chapter 2, we see that the church is now empowered by the Holy Ghost. In verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so again, there's debate on that. What was it? Did the apostles speak with other tongues or did the people just hear it in their own language? Well, it tells us in verse 4 that they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the gift of tongues is languages again. It wasn't some heavenly babble. It was languages. And it tells us in, in the following verses that it says there, <clears throat> verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, all... Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then it gives you the list of the people that were there. And then it says in verse 11, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So we have the disciples here, the apostles, praising God. That's what they're doing, the wonderful works of God. They're praising God for his goodness to them and then we see in verse 14 Peter again he takes the position here now he stands up but now keep in mind now he's filled with the Holy Ghost and so now he he stands before the people and now he preaches a gospel message he gives them a history lesson and teaches them about who Jesus is and the result of that As we move on through the passage, you can read it all yourself, but in verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So the message that Peter preached here, now again he's preaching by himself, is not the the whole crew now preaching. Peter preaching, probably in Hebrew, but doesn't tell us. But he's speaking Now he's got the attention through God of the people. Now he's speaking the common language. And now the people are brought under conviction by the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And so now they want to know what they need to do. And so Peter says in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as, our, as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So here we see that you can't add to something if it isn't there, so it was added unto them. So we have the, the beginnings of the church with the apostles and the 120 all together, but now we're adding to that number 3,000 souls, about 3,000 souls. These people were the ones that gladly received the word. So how many people were all together there, we're not told, but about 3,000 of them were saved. They were the ones that gladly received the word of God. And they were saved, and they were baptized. And then it says in verse 42, And they continued, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So <clears throat> we see that the very first church had a membership and there was added to the membership those that were saved. And that's important. And we see again, what is the purpose of the church? It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. <clears throat> so... If we go to Ephesians chapter 4, we see that a true church is, has the apostles and prophets. It has evangelists and pastors and teachers. So a group of people that decide we're going to meet together in my house and we're just going to have a Bible study. Well, fine, you can have a Bible study, but you can't call yourself a church. It has to be properly set up according to what God's word tells us to be a church. Now, a house church is not wrong. Uh, because there were house churches in the Bible. So you can't say house churches are wrong. But a house church has to be properly organized. Otherwise, it's just a group of people meeting together. Now, now you may be all Christians, and there may be a, a person there that is knowledgeable of scriptures and is leading it. A lot of Bible studies today, when they are held in that fashion, they're, they're run uh, with uh, uh, consensus. So this person will say, I think this passage says this. The other one will say, well, this I think it says this. Another one says something else. And, and they're all kind of pacifists, so nobody really gets up in arms. And nobody says, no, this is what it says. It says it right here. We've got to believe that. They don't do that. They well, okay, well, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way, and that's how they leave it. So people leave the place just as confused as they came to the place. So uh, we are coming to a place in our country of Canada where it may end up that we have to meet in homes again, maybe have to meet out in the bush somewhere in secret. We might get that place. That's been in the past, and we're going to see in church history that happened in the past. It may have to happen again. But at this point, we don't have to. But church membership is still important. And, and that's something that we are living in a time today when there's a lot of people that are confused. And they don't think church membership is important. They don't think the local church is important. They're content to, to stay home, and their excuse is, well, there's no good church. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus Christ is in charge of 
the true churches. Now again, keep in mind, Peter here is the one preaching. Peter, I believe, led the people the wrong way in choosing Matthias as the 12th apostle. In Galatians chapter 2, I believe it is, Paul had to rebuke Peter because he was causing division between the, the Jews and the Gentile Christians, and he had to be publicly rebuked. So Peter was not a perfect man. And yet he was used of God to preach the gospel. And because of his preaching, because he followed what God said, about 3,000 souls were added to the church at that time. Chapter 4 of Acts, he and John were arrested for preaching in Jesus' name. So Peter was very active doing the work of God, but he was not infallible. The Catholics believe that Peter was infallible, and they claim the popes are infallible. That's heresy. Peter was not infallible. So if a person is saying there's no good church around and I'm not going to go because there's no good church, well, you're, you're demanding more than what God says there's going to be. Now, I know when we were younger, um, I was very discontented with the churches that we were attending, the, uh, the church that my wife had grown up in and attended, and we were, we were married in that church, but the teaching was off, and uh, I didn't, didn't agree with it, and we started looking around, more on my part than her part, but we started looking around, and we went to several different churches, and we even at one point ended up um, at a meeting that was being held in a church or in a barn loft, and we, I think we sat on straw bales, if, I'm not, if I don't if I remember right. But we went to that, but I felt, again, this isn't, this isn't right. There's, there's still, this is not what God wants us to do. And, but we never abandoned churches, not just because of the two of us, but we wanted our children to, to have the truth as well. It's very important for people to be taught the truth. And so we never abandoned the design that God has given us as people. And that's important that we, not just for, our, for myself, but for my wife, I have to make sure that I'm leading her the right way. I also have to make sure that we're leading our children the right way. And that's very important. And if you don't make wise decisions, there's a cost to that. And it's a cost that, that you'll regret if you're truly saved. So... <clears throat> That's the history of the first church. That's in Jerusalem. And then from there, the second point is the church in Antioch. And we find in chapter 11 that there was uh, a gathering after chapter uh, 5, I believe it is, where persecution, God sent persecution because the Christians were not obeying God. They were supposed to go into all the world. And they didn't do that. They stuck around and uh, stayed in all right, let me see here now. What do we got here? Chapter 11. <clears throat> Let's see here. That's chapter 10. How about if I get into chapter 11? In chapter 11 and verse 19... It says there, now when, now they, sorry, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, that's chapter 7, 
uh, of Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So the, the apostles had some learning to do. They were told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But they were limiting themselves to preaching to the Jews only. Now, one of the things that we find in the Bible in the New Testament is that there are two Antiochs. Now, you notice here in, in this one, it just says Antioch. Okay, now, just for your reference, you might want to put it in the margin there or put it in your notes, but this is Antioch in Syria. This is Antioch in Syria. That's important to note that. Because if we go on, um, let me see here. Yeah, I think it's in chapter 13. In chapter 13, uh, we have in verse 1. Yeah, in verse 1 it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, that's in Syria again, that's important to note that, that's in Syria, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they and then laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So this is Antioch in Syria. Now if you go down to verse 14, it says there, And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So in Antioch in Syria, in chapter 13, there's a church. And we see that the headquarters, if we can call it that, it wasn't really a headquarters, but the main church was moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. Saul, Paul, was chosen in Antioch to go out to be an evangelist. When he came back from his evangelistic endeavors, he reported back to Antioch again. Now in chapter 15, we see that the Jews got together in Jerusalem again for the Jerusalem Council because the concern of the Jews, Christian Jews, was that the apostles were going out and they were not forcing the Gentiles to be Jews. They weren't telling the Gentiles you've got to be circumcised in order to be true Christians. They weren't telling them to keep the Old Testament uh, Mosaic law in order to be Christians. They were preaching the gospel to them. And so the Jerusalem Council was, was gathered together to determine what do we do about this. And it was agreed there, based on the work of the Holy Spirit in the, the men involved, that that circumcision is not a law for all people. It's a law for the Gentiles, or for the Jews, sorry. It's a law for the Jews, but not for the Gentiles. Nothing wrong with circumcision, but it's not something that we have to do as a means of salvation. And that's what the Judaizers were trying to do. They were trying to make a legalistic Christianity, which is not Christianity. 
And that's one thing that this, this man I listened to today as well, he, he doesn't understand what legalism is. He talked about he has no use for legalism. Well, legalism, in the, the proper definition of it, is someone who claims that doing certain things makes you a Christian. Keeping the law makes you a Christian. That keeping the Sabbath makes you a Christian. Not eating meat on Friday makes you a Christian. Different things that people will put in there and say, if you do these things, you're a Christian. That's legalism. But to hold to the word of God is not legalism. And a lot of people are confused about it because they don't want to hold to the word of God. So the devil has put it in their minds, oh, those people are legalists. Stay away from them. They're dangerous. You see, so there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that don't follow the Bible. And they're confused. Some of them willfully ignorant. Other ones haven't bothered to even check it out. But again, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart and life, especially if you're saved, you're going to understand that that term, legalism, gets thrown around uh, like a bomb and scares a lot of people. But when you study it out, you find out that they don't know what they're talking about. And so it's very important, again, for a true church to, under, to help people understand what is the legalism that's being talked about in our world? What is that? What are they scared of? And what most professing Christians are scared of is they don't want to have, thus saith the Lord. They want to have, God makes this suggestion, but if you want to do it differently, that's okay too. Like the speaker said, he's not going to talk to someone if they believe baptism is sprinkling or baptism is immersion. He doesn't care about that. He says, not that the theology isn't important, but he's not going to get into it. Well, if you're not going to get into it, it's not important. So don't say it's important, but I'm not going to talk about it. Then it's not important. So <clears throat> the man is confused. But again, the, the church in Antioch seems to be the place now where uh, the, the, the believers, the, the apostles, I should say, at least Paul, was sent out from. And he reported back to Antioch again. So again, it's important to note there are two different Antiochs. And, and God, again, in his goodness here helps us to see that he doesn't identify Antioch and Syria but Antioch and Syria is where Christians fled to some of them and there was a church established there and then Paul or Saul well uh, Saul's called here yet his name is changed in verse 9 but he went to with with the Barnabas they traveled and they went to Antioch in Pisidia apparently a mountainous area where they went, and there you notice that uh, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them. So there was a synagogue there, there were Jews there, and, and Paul and Barnabas went there to preach the gospel. <clears throat> so that's the, the development of the church, starts out in Jerusalem, then there's a church established in Antioch, and then from there they, the apostle Paul and Barnabas together went to different places and established churches there, and then there was a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas because of John Mark, and so Paul chose uh, uh, Silas, and uh, Bar Barnabas took John Mark with him, and after that we don't hear any more about Barnabas, but we hear about Paul and Silas. And so God was in that division, uh, Barnabas was more of a, um, 
a man who was used to, he was used by God to, to encourage the, the, the other apostles and the Christians in Jerusalem to accept Paul as a converted man. But he was a, a consolation, a man of consolation. And so he wasn't really the right, right man to be out church planting. You need to be a stronger man than that. So <clears throat> that's how the church developed in that time. And then we have also in the first century, all happening within less than 100 years because Jesus was on this earth till about 2930 A.D. And uh, <clears throat> then from that time to the end of John the Apostle, who uh, died in the first century as well, but we have in that 70-year period, we have the decay of the churches as well. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 talks about seven churches, seven local churches that were established in the first century. And Jesus addresses those seven churches. And so we're running out of time here, but I'm just going to quickly go over them briefly here. The first church that Jesus addresses there in chapter 2 is the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus had lost their first love. So when we look at the seven churches that Jesus addressed in Revelation 2 and 3, we fit into those seven churches. Everything that, that Jesus addressed in those churches are the same things that every church will face. And so there's not that we are outside of that realm and God, Jesus didn't touch on problems we might have. We can all look to those seven churches and see, okay, here's what we need to watch out for here and this one here and so on. So our first love as Christians needs to be to God. If our first love is not to God, then we're going to find, as is so often the case in churches, they'll go to church on Sunday, but on Wednesday, nah, summertime, we're going to go camping, we're going to go fishing, we're going to go golfing, we're going to do this or that or whatever. And church comes second. That can't work. For true Christians, that can't work. It has to be God's word first. Mm -hmm. So if there's meetings set up, a few weeks ago there was a meeting set up in our town to meet the new Reeve and the counselors from our area. And it was set up on a Wednesday night. Well, guess where we were on Wednesday night? We came to church. And I wrote to the council and I said, it'd be nice if, you're, if you have another meeting of this type to set it up on a different night besides Wednesday because Wednesday night is our Bible study night and our Bible study night comes first before a town meeting. And I said in the letter as well, it'd be good for you people to come to our Bible study. You need to learn the truth as well. And so, but you see, a true Christian, if he's going to have his love in the right place, is not going to say, well, this meeting, i got to go because I don't know when there will be another one, so I'm going to skip church this time. Mm -hmm. That's a wrong decision. And the church in Ephesus, the pastor in the church in Ephesus, every one of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus addresses the, the pastor, and the pastor there had lost his first love. Mm -hmm. And it was a problem, and the solution was to repent to get right with God and get back where he needed to be. Smyrna is a second church, and they were warned about the danger of compromise. They had people, Jews in their church, that were rejecting the truth, and they were of the synagogue of Satan. That's what Jesus called it, the synagogue of Satan. 
See, when you set up a religious organization that's against God, that's what it is. If it's against God, who's it for? There's no neutrality. You're either with God or you're not. So when we look at the many different kinds of churches today who are not true churches, they're houses of Satan. I called them social clubs before, but they're houses of Satan because they claim to have a God and they claim to have a Savior. But they don't have the God of the Bible. They don't have the Jesus of the Bible. And we'll get into that more later. The third one is Pergamos. And Pergamos was also under attack by Satan. They had in there, the pastor there was tolerating people that had the doctrine of Balaam. Now Balaam in the Old Testament, if you're, if you're not careful as you read about Balaam, you might say, well, Balaam was a man of God. I mean, he prophesied over the Jews, but yeah, Balaam was a, what we would call today a new evangelical or an emergent church type of a man. He was a deceiver. He was like a Billy Graham who knows the name of God, knows the name of Jesus, but he knows how to gather people together from all different kind of groups like the speaker I listened to today. He knows how to gather all kinds of people together, but he's not going to tell them the truth. He's going to leave them believing what they want to believe. And Balaam instructed the Moabites, if you want to break down Israel, you'll never win by fighting a war. If you want to break down Israel, you get your men to marry their daughters. And you get their men to marry your daughters. That's how you're going to destroy Israel. And God condemned that and he killed them. So that was a problem in Pergamos. And together with that was the Nicolaitans. And uh, the Nicolaitans seem to have held similar position to that of Balaam. Compromisers leading people astray, weakening the truth. And Thyatira is a, the fourth one. And the pastor there seemed to tolerate the doctrine of Jezebel. Well, what was Jezebel doing? Jezebel was a wife of Ahab. She was a wicked woman. She was an adulteress. And she encouraged Baal, or Ahab to worship Baal and many other false gods. Over 800 false prophets they had in Israel during her time. And the, the pastor in Thyatira was tolerating that false doctrine and so Jesus had words for him and he needed to get back to the truth as well Sardis was the fifth one and the pastor there uh, seems to have <clears throat> fallen also he seemed to tolerate sin in his own life and was passive towards spiritual purity in the church and so he too needed to get right with God. And Philadelphia was commended for keeping God's word. They were not very strong, but they were keeping God's word. And God, Jesus encouraged them to remain faithful, not to fall for compromise. And then Laodicea, the worst of them all, they thought they were doing great. They had riches, but they didn't have an intimate walk with God. And they were, they were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. And Jesus said, I'd like to spit you out of my mouth. You didn't want that. Either you want a hot drink or a cold drink. You don't want something lukewarm. 
And so these seven churches that Jesus addressed in Revelation 2 and 3, again, they are a picture of all churches throughout church history. So what we need to do in this church is to be careful that we don't take any of those sins, those shortcomings, and make them part of who we are. We need to seek to be a pure body, honoring God and glorifying him. So we might touch on that a little more next time. I'll see yet, but I just wanted to give you that as the, the corruption that took over in the first century. And from there, we're going to go on. But again, it's important for us to remember that God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. And so as we look at our church we need to be people who follow what God's word says. We need to build our, our body on the truth and seek to help others to, to know the truth as well and to walk in the truth. And that's important so that we don't end up causing problems down the road. You see, it's not a matter, I'm 71 now, so my life is just about over. There are people here that are much younger than I am. There are children here. There are people listening to us. I don't know the ages of all the people that are listening. But it's my duty to be careful, not just for me, but for anybody that's listening. To not cause a stumbling block for anybody that's listening. That's important. So there's no such a thing as coasting in the Christian life. We need to continue to walk faithfully with God <clears throat> seek to honor him and seek to help others to see the importance of putting their trust in the Lord God, the same Lord God that the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's not a God of confusion, not the author of confusion. <clears throat> so we want to be careful that we're not creating confusion, but we want to help people to how to help people to live right, to know God's peace and blessing. And to be a part of a true local church. Because that's what's important. <clears throat> to be a part of a true local church. So we'll close with a word of prayer. Again, if you're listening and you're not saved, that's the place to start. You need to be born again, the Bible says. You need to turn to God in repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. And then you need to get baptized and join a good local church. That's God's will. For every born again Christian. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father we're thankful for thy word. We're thankful for the truthfulness of thy word. And we pray that thy will will be accomplished. In each one that's listening. That we might understand the importance of the local church. The Lord Jesus Christ came. To establish the local church. And he wants to present. The saints to his father. As a spotless body. And so it's up to us to, who are saved to obey thy word and to build our lives upon the truth so that we're not causing the Lord Jesus Christ to be ashamed. He came to this earth, he shed his blood so that we could be purified, we could be forgiven of our sin and walk as new creatures and glorify the true God. So I pray for each one that's listening, that's saved, that they might see the importance of the true local church and want to be a part of one and to honor thee in their decisions and in their actions. May thy will be accomplished. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.